Welcome to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Good morning to you. I am Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. Bill, how are you doing today? Doing good, Jason. Hope you are. I'm doing wonderful, Bill. Anytime <laughs> you've got a sweater on, I know what time of the year it is, and I know we've got a great show ahead of us. So now wait a minute. That's that way off. People who know me know that I wear sweaters all year, <laughs> summer, winter. You know, I feel they I get like my sweaters. They get a little bit more more bold <laughs> as as the temperature gets a little bit cooler. Uh, my my wife accuses me of dressing like Mister Rogers. So it's, well, uh, that's that's not a bad person. To <laughs> I love my cardigans. Model after. No, you you look sharp, Bill. I like it. Uh, well, let's get to the topic at hand today, Bill. We're going to be talking a lot about Medicaid, and I know you got a lot to talk about. So I don't want to take up too. much much time here but uh, you know we we talk so much about financial assistance for uh, a long-term care crisis and you know we we hear so much about medicaid but a lot of us may be under the impression that there are, are some half truths or maybe we we don't fully understand the system uh, well M- medicaid is the big gorilla out there that it's the one um government assistance program that is significant uh, and it is extremely helpful and um, most families uh, can in fact receive Medicaid if they need nursing facility care and of course there are a number of Medicaid waiver programs as as well but uh, of course, you know that I have been doing our long-term care crisis uh, Medicaid seminars for 20 years now, and um, you know we try to do them each month, and we talk about a lot of these issues. But back in the day, uh, when I first started doing our uh, Medicaid seminars, uh, we advertised the three big lies about Medicaid uh, because they're and and they're they still exist today. I mean, the fact of the matter is is that uh, there is so much misinformation about Medicaid, and most families still think that these lies or half truths are true, and and they believe it, and because they believe it, they don't get the advice they need, and they don't do the things that could actually help them. So I thought that this morning we could take on some of these lies or half-truths about Medicaid um, and, and just try to dispel um, the problems. And of course, uh, it's uh, you can't get this information out of a book, and the and the reason is real simple: the rules vary from state to state. Um, so, if you wrote a book about nor- uh, the the rules here in North Carolina, it wouldn't apply anywhere else. Uh, I mean, there are some basic tenets that that follow through in most states, but uh, the the fact of the matter is, even though Medicaid is based on federal law. The states have a lot of leeway in how those laws are actually administered. And so North Carolina rules are different from every other state's rules. And so if you if you write a book, number one, you gotta you'd have to write an edition uh, every year because the rules do change subtly, uh, frequently. Uh, and it would only apply to North Carolina. So it doesn't work. Uh, and there's uh, there is a Medicaid manual online. 
Uh, but unless you're an elder law attorney, there's no way that you could actually understand it. It's in, it's it's like it's written in Greek, uh, <laughs> so it doesn't help uh, laymen uh, as it you know in trying to figure out the rules. And, and truthfully, I think that the government doesn't want people to understand the rules. Uh, they want to make it difficult for folks to be able to apply for the assistance that they need. And unfortunately, the you know when you apply for Medicaid, it is almost an adversarial uh, type of application. Uh, they're trying to find a way to deny coverage to you, uh, and that's what the application process is all about. How can we deny coverage as opposed to how can we help people? Um, very, very uh, different. Okay, so what are some of the big lies out there? Well, the, the, the first uh, big lie is that, um, uh, and I guess the best way to explain it is most of the lies are actually half-truths, but you have to know which half (laughs) is true and what's not. And so what's the first big lie? The first one is that if you go on Medicaid, that the state, in other words, the state of North Carolina, uh, will get your house upon your death. And that's clearly a half-truth. There is what's called Medicaid estate recovery. There is an effort by the state to get paid back uh, when you go on Medicaid. Uh, but whether, whether they get your house or not, truthfully, is up to you. Uh, and I know that sounds weird. I'll go into that. Um, uh, and whether they get anything in terms of a state recovery, truthfully, is up to you. Now, you could go on Medicaid and get lucky in the state not get your house anyway. So why would that be the case? Well, number one, uh, if you're a married couple and one spouse needs nursing care and you apply for Medicaid and go on Medicaid, uh, the house is an exempt asset. So your home uh, in, in almost every case, is not a countable asset, so it doesn't keep you from receiving Medicaid. So how is it that you would not, um, the state would not get your house? Well, if the normal situation occurs and the institutionalized spouse on Medicaid dies first, you know, dies before the healthy spouse who's living at home, <laughs> which clearly is more likely than not, then if the house is in both names, like it is for most spouses, then the, um, the community spouse, the spouse at home, owns the house at the death of the institutionalized spouse by, by the deed, and hence it's not part of the decedent's estate and the state doesn't get the house. Okay, that's fairly simple. Uh, but... If the community spouse dies first, because there's one thing that's clearly true in life, and that is we we don't have a clue when our number's called, and sometimes healthier people die before folks who have other issues and are sick or institutionalized. So community spouses do die first occasionally, and when that, when that happens, then the institutional spouse owns the house. The same thing would be true if your spouse has already died or you're single and you own a home. It's not going to keep you from going on Medicaid, but then you own the house at your death. So if you have not – the point is this, that 
if you own a home, it can be protected, but you need to see an elder law attorney, hopefully us at W.G. Alexander & Associates, but an elder law attorney who would know how to protect your home or any other real estate that you might own. Uh, It can be protected in North Carolina, so it's not subject to a state recovery. But there's a secret. The secret is you have to seek assistance before you die. In other words, if you have a a loved one who owns a home and they're in a nursing home and they're on Medicaid or they want or need to go on Medicaid, you need to get professional assistance from an elder law attorney to protect the home prior to death. Um, It's, I mean, that sounds simplistic, but an awful lot of folks don't even think about it. They don't realize that the home can be protected uh, under those circumstances. So in, in essence, if, if you're married and the, and the institutionalized person dies first, then the, house, then the state's not going to get the house anyway. But if you're single, you really do need assistance. Now, there's another piece of the pie that's really important to us in our planning. Uh, normally, when we have a married couple that own real estate, the first thing we want to do in order to protect it better is to move it to the community spouse's name. In other words, take it out of the the person going into the institution, take their name off the deed, put it in the name of the spouse who is healthy, and then have the healthy spouse change their last will and testament to create what's called a supplemental needs trust for their, their sick spouse. And that trust in their last will and testament is, is asset protection. And that way, because uh, w- we want to protect both spouses, we want to protect their resources for the community spouse and make sure that the institutional spouse is taken care of. Well, that's really important. And a supplemental needs trust in the will of the healthy spouse can do just that. Because if we move the house into that person's name and move all the property into the healthy spouse's name, if that spouse should die first, then everything will go into the trust, be protected, the other spouse can stay on Medicaid, there's no five-year look back, there's no sanction or penalty, there's not a limit on how much can be in the trust, and it protects the real estate, it protects the house, in fact, it protects anything and everything in that person's name if they do that. So that that's the kind of planning that can be done that's so important for families that uh, have to seek or need to seek Medicaid uh, because of their health crisis. Yeah, and it's impossible to find out all this information, as you said, Bill, on mm-hmm. your own. There's too much confusion and half-truths out there. If this is a situation that applies to you, I encourage you, schedule an appointment to speak with Bill. You can call 919-256-7000, 919-256-7000, or you can go online to wgalaw.com. There you can find information about the many services that Bill provides. You can also register for February seminars. These are free seminars that Bill puts on the second Wednesday of every month. Uh, this would happen to be Wednesday, February 12th in February. 
Bill has seminars all about uh, long-term care assistance and government assistance, uh, all the things that we've been talking about so far this morning. Bill goes in depth, and you can find plenty of information online at WGALaw.com. It's free to register and attend WGALaw.com. A quick break and back with more. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Good morning to you, Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. And Bill, we're talking all about the big lies and half truths when it comes to Medicaid. And uh, you're the expert in this realm, Bell. Bell, you've uh, been there and done that. You've been doing this for 20 years. You've been doing these seminars? Uh, we have. Uh, I, I like to say I use the old uh, slogan that Thad Your used to use. <laughs> I, I'm the old rat in the barn the when it comes to elder law planning uh, and, uh, uh, and enjoy uh, what we do very much. Uh, and for I suspect most of the listeners have no clue who Thad Your is. He was the Secretary of State for many, 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 many years here in North Carolina. But uh, – um, hasn't been around for a long time. So anyway, I tried to take up his slogan as far as that goes. <laughs> but wh- okay, what's the next one? The, the next big lie is that you have to be dirt poor to go on Medicaid, or alternatively, you have to um, give away all of your assets five years before you need it, or alternatively, uh, put all of your assets into an irrevocable trust five years before you need care. Well, uh, first of all, that's total nonsense as it relates to planning uh, or particularly crisis planning because most of our clients actually come to us while when they're in crisis. They haven't done anything five years before they need assistance. And for most families, we, we can help them receive Medicaid assistance. With it. Some, for some families, we can do it in a few weeks. For others, it takes a month or two, depending on the, the circumstances that they have. But if you don't believe me, come to see us at W.G. Alexander Associates, or if you want to know more about how that works, come to our seminar. It just makes sense. But the, the fact is, is that uh, the rules relating to Medicaid, if you need a nursing care, uh, is not uh, based on being categorically needy or poor. It's based on medical needs. And so many, many families can receive Medicaid that, that just don't believe that they could, could uh, receive Medicaid. And that's uh, one of the things that's so important for folks to understand and also, the, the fact is you can be dirt poor and still not be eligible for Medicaid because you might have a countable asset that you're not even thinking about um, that prevents you from uh, being Medicaid eligible. And so, um, again, in, in both cases, it's the, these are times – uh, when families should seek professional assistance from an elder law attorney, uh, the best case is to do it uh, well in advance of, of needing assistance. But if you're in crisis or if, if you, it's the kind of thing where if, if you have a loved one already in a nursing home 
or it's a high probability that somebody will need nursing care in the near term, then get yourself to an elder law attorney to get the, the factual information that you need to make good decisions regarding how to protect your property and get the assistance that you need. Um, but most, uh, most folks just don't have a clue. And I'm talking about attorneys, CPAs, financial advisors, social workers. They don't know these rules. In fact, uh, 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 it takes a person who works with these rules all the time to be able to apply them to any kind of family situation. So that's uh, – now, obviously, I'm professing – uh, seeking assistance from an elder law attorney, and clearly we are at W.G. Alexander Associates, but there's a difference in terms of professional assistance uh, between talking to somebody who knows what they're talking about and someone who doesn't know how these rules work. So it's really important uh, to families. So that's a good one. All right, what's another, um, you know, half-truth? Well, another fallacy is... There are a lot of folks who think they can actually give away $15,000 a year uh, and it would not affect their um, uh, potential Medicaid application if they get sick. And so uh, now, why is there confusion? Well, because there are two different federal rules involved. Number one, the $15,000 gifting rule – has to do with federal gift tax. In other words, you can give $15,000 to as many people as you want without having to file a federal gift tax return. If you give one person more than $15,000, that is, anyone other than your spouse, more than $15,000, then by federal law, you're required to file a federal gift tax return. That doesn't have anything to do with Medicaid. Medicaid is going to look at every gift you've made, with the exception of gifts to your spouse. You can transfer anything and everything to your spouse without any kind of penalty or sanction for Medicaid, and that's an important rule for folks to know, too. But giving any amount of money to your children or grandchildren or anybody else is going to be scrutinized and penalized when you apply for Medicaid if the gift is made within five years of your need for Medicaid. And and here's the hard part. How will you know when you're going to need Medicaid? You, can, you can't predict, I'll need Medicaid six years from now, so I better do it now. <laughs> you can't do that. So um, that, it, that makes it impossible uh, as it relates to that. And, uh, of course, the other piece of it is there are folks who say, oh, well, we made a big gift to our child or grandchild, so we are ineligible for Medicaid until five years has run out. Well, that's not true either. I mean, let's say you gave, uh, you helped your grandchild one year uh, tuition at Duke. Uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know how much they're charging over there now, but I assume it's in excess of $50,000. That would be a pretty darn big gift. Well, that is a sanctionable transfer, even though it's for legitimate purposes and even though it has uh, probably the gift was made without any kind of, of – um, 
intention uh, of getting of applying for Medicaid up the road. Uh, if you had a stroke or something uh, that puts you in the nursing home uh, within five years of that gift, they're going to count it and they're going to penalize it. Um, now, the fact is, is that it, you can undo a penalty. And again, if you see an elder law attorney, they uh, an elder law attorney understands how to undo a penalty. And again, some folks think you have to, if you gave away $50,000, your grandchild has to give you $50,000 back. Well, again, that's not true. And all of us know that if we give a grandchild $50,000, we're not getting it back. (laughs) (laughs) uh, But there are other ways to undo the penalty that's created by the gifts that we make. And so it's really important when you go see your elder law attorney uh, that you uh, make sure you tell them about uh, gifts that have been made. And, of course, Medicaid is not supposed to count uh, the historically normal gifts that you make, uh, such as if you normal birthday, um, uh, holiday gifts, uh, things like that, uh, graduation gifts. They're not supposed to count those. However, you know, if your norm is to give a $50 or $100 gift and then it's like you're getting older and I want to see my grandchildren enjoy – our money, uh, and then so you start making a thousand dollar gifts or five hundred dollar gifts, then they're clearly going to count those, and and you have to explain the little gifts too. So it it can get complicated in how it and how it works. And then there's another piece that goes in that I talk about occasionally, and that is for those seniors who like to deal in cash. DSS is normally going to, if you go to the bank every week and get $100 cash just for spending money or anything along those lines, every $100, they're going to assume you're getting it in cash so you can give it to a child or grandchild. And you have to be able to explain what you've done with your money, which can be really difficult because most people who deal in cash don't keep up with with their receipts and, and the like. So for seniors, and I hate to say it as it relates to privacy because I love privacy, uh, seniors really don't need to be dealing in cash because it can make their make um, a, a things very difficult for them when they apply for assistance because, in essence, the government wants to know what you've done with your money. Yeah, it's one of those unintended consequences of where, you know, you think you're doing the right thing with privacy, but it could come back to bite you. And that's mm-hmm. why it's so important to seek an expert when it comes to advice for Medicaid and long-term care assistance. Bill Alexander is the guy. Go online to wgalaw.com. There you can schedule an appointment or register for February's free seminars, wgalaw.com, or call 919 919- Two five six seven thousand nine one nine two five six seven thousand. A quick break and back with more. We're talking all about Medicaid here on Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio six eighty WPTF.
News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander, and we're talking all about the big lies when it comes to Medicaid. And uh, some of these are big lies, some of these are half truths, but we got the guy here to sort them out, and that's you, Bill. So thank you for doing that. We've gone over plenty, uh, you know, the, the state. Uh, mm-hmm probably isn't going to take your house at death. Um, you don't necessarily have to be poor or give away all your assets to get assistance. Uh, we talked about gifting, uh, you know, can't just be giving away $15,000 and thinking that that's not going to come back to bite you. So what else, Bill, what else is there? Well, I, I know it's sort of an opposite lie is folks who think, well, if I've given everything away or if I'm poor anyway, then the government's going to take care of me. And, and there's some folks who actually think that. And, of course, that's a huge lie because <laughs> the government's not going to take care of anybody if you really get down to it. Um, it it's, a, it, it's a huge mistake that people make, and that's one of the reasons why I really believe in independence and control for my senior clients. Uh, and, and I don't encourage people to give property away ever. I think it's a huge mistake. But... But the, the fact is, is that there are a lot of barriers, even if you're poor, uh, to receiving, and, and you could be poor because you've given everything away. Uh, so there are a number of barriers that keep you from receiving assistance. And it might be because your Social Security check is just a little bit too high. Um, or it could be now that has to do with a Medicaid waiver program called special assistance. They have a very low income cap and and that's the assistance that more people need than actually the Medicaid program. Uh, and it's underfunded, qu- no question about it. it, it uh, but we have a huge hole in the safety net. So what's special assistance? Special assistance, is the Medicaid-like state program for assisted living care. Well, truthfully, there's far more people who need assisted living than need nursing care. And they cannot get government financial assistance. And one of the big reasons is because their income is just a little bit too high. So, for instance, if your Social Security check is $1,200, that's too high to receive basic special assistance for a regular assisted living room. And if your Social Security check is $1,500 a month, then that's too high even if you need dementia care. And, of course, dementia care in in most of the facilities is over $4,000 a month, and it can get much higher than that. It can be $6,500 very easily in a lot of facilities. And so... There are not many families that can actually afford that without some kind of financial assistance. Well, Medicaid has its barriers as well. Income is typically not one of the barriers. And, of course, that's another misunderstanding that people have. Uh, Income is rarely, if ever, a barrier to receiving Medicaid if you need nursing care. Uh, However, assets... Uh, are almost always the barrier in one way or another. And even if you have very little, I had a client just this week who had the, the married couple, one spouse needed uh, care, the other 
was okay, uh, and the the only asset they had was uh, in terms of financial resources was less than ten thousand dollars. They had a small retirement account and a little bit of money in the in the bank in a checking account, and that was it. They didn't they didn't have anything else. But the husband who needed assistance was not eligible for Medicaid. Why? Because he owned a small insurance, life insurance policy. It had a death benefit of $22,000, and it had a cash value of just a little, uh, about $2,500. Well, the bottom line is that asset was countable for Medicaid, and um, would have had him deny, be denied uh, coverage if they applied for Medicaid just because of that one asset. Now, they had a really easy way to get, but they needed the professional advice to know what to do, and that was to, to transfer ownership of that policy to the spouse. That wouldn't change anything about the policy itself except – the owner of that policy, if it were, were the spouse and the beneficiary of uh, based on the death of the uh, of the husband, that uh, in the in the wife's uh, name would be okay. In other words, he'd be eligible under those circumstances. Now, you get a little more tricky situation if you have same situation, but you're not married; you're single. Um, then hopefully you have a child you can transfer uh, that policy to, and then you've created a sanction, you know, a penalty for having transferred it to someone other than your spouse. So you have to do a gift back uh, in order to make up for that gift, and that those are the kind of things that elder law attorneys can help people with. And so obviously we. Hope you'll come to see W.G. Alexander and Associate. I'm being very self-serving here, folks. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, this is these are the kind of issues that folks need to see an elder law attorney about. Now, I know you're going to say I need to take another break. And so when I want to talk about some of the biggest mistakes that family makes um, when it comes to having a loved one who needs care and in most cases needs some financial assistance as well. Yeah, I'm glad we're going to get into that because those can be uh, just as damaging as uh, believing some of these big lies or half-truths when it comes to Medicaid. So we're going to tackle that right after this. I want to remind you, you can go online to WGALaw.com if you want to schedule an appointment to speak with Bill. You can also register for February's free seminars. Those are on Wednesday, February 12th. You can find all that information online at WGALaw.com. You can also call 919 Two five six seven thousand. A quick break and back with more. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio six eighty WPTF. Welcome back to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander, and we're talking all about Medicaid. Bill, we addressed a lot of the big lies and half truths when it comes to Medicaid. Um, but just before we uh, hit the break last segment, you mentioned you want to talk about the big mistakes made by potential Medicaid recipients. 
Okay. Uh, that's It's a huge area, and there are lots and lots of mistakes that uh, families make uh, when uh, they observe that they have a family member in crisis and they, they uh, want to get in front of it. Uh, or they're already behind it and they're trying to catch up. <laughs> uh, okay, so the uh, one of the big mistakes is thinking that the legal documents you have will work for Medicaid-type planning or asset protection planning. In other words, to get – there are two parts of Medicaid. The first part is how do we get eligible – and the second part is how do we protect our ass- – after we're eligible, how do we protect our assets uh, from any kind of Medicaid estate recovery? And a good elder law attorney should be able to help you with both sides of, of that issue, but they're both really important. So the first one is you got to have the right documents in place, and it's very, very rare for regular documents, even if it's done by an attorney – to work in a Medicaid crisis planning case. So what's the most important document that's different? Um, It's the general durable power of attorney. Most people, particularly seniors, most people have one, and 98% of them don't work for Medicaid planning. They're not designed for Medicaid or asset protection planning. They're designed as simple, transactional. You can you can sell the house. You can sell the, the truck. You can uh, pay the bills, but that's about it. Uh, an advanced power of attorney is so important for seniors. As, as long as they have a trusted person that, 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 that you know will take care of things in your best interest or take care of things the way you want them taken care of, if you have that trusted person, you need an advanced power of attorney because nobody knows in advance that they're going to have this kind of crisis and having these documents uh, in advance are, it can be uh, life-saving to you uh, in, in terms of one's ability to do this advanced planning. Because advanced planning normally means that you're going to be transferring property by gift normally to a spouse, sometimes to a child, uh, and you need to also be able to protect not only the property in the spouse's name, or the, and you have to do gift backs from a child and things like that. Uh, and you need the right kind of document to be able to give that protection to your spouse or child. To, to be able to change beneficiary designations, because oftentimes it's really important that you not exacerbate the the situation by leaving property to the person who shouldn't receive it. Uh, oftentimes, um, now, the, the general durable power of attorney is not the only document that folks should have. Oftentimes, uh, when you have a person who's already in crisis, the healthy spouse should, in fact, have a different kind of last will and testament. One that protects the unhealthy spouse in the event that the healthy spouse dies first. That's called a supplemental needs trust. It needs to be in the last will and testament. So if you have an I love you will, which most people do, in other words, upon my death, I leave everything to my spouse, 
Well, that's the worst kind of will that you could have. And if you just simply change your will and say, well, I'm going to leave my husband out or my wife out because they're sick, I'm going to leave it to the children and expect them to take care of it, you're not protecting your spouse when you do that. But if you have a supplemental needs trust and you can appoint one of your children or more than one as the trustee for your – then – if you've done that, then you are, in fact, protecting your spouse in the event that uh, you die first. Because, you know, like I said, nobody knows what that is. So thinking that you have the right documents is a huge mistake. So uh, what are some of the others? And some might be obvious by some of the you know half-truths that I've already talked about. And that is... Uh, if you're already on Medicaid, not seeking the advice of an elder law attorney until your a loved one dies. You know, that happens all the time. And it's sort of like, oh, we heard you could protect mama's house. Well, she just died. And the fact is, if, if a person is alive and has the right documents in place, we can protect the house. But if they're dead already then the ability to protect the house is extremely limited and rarely works uh, when you have that kind of situation. There are some rules that uh, allow uh, you in some certain circumstances, but it doesn't, it doesn't help uh, very often. So in essence, you got to get to the lawyer and have things done prior to the death of your loved one. That's a biggie. Um, another one is not seeing an elder law attorney. I've had so many families come to see me, and they've they've already spent two or three hundred thousand dollars of resources, and they they're coming in because we only have fifty thousand dollars left, and we know we need to get some help for mom or dad. Um, when the, the truth is, they should have seen the elder law attorney back when they had three hundred thousand dollars because all of it could have been protected and preserved, and you still get the same result. And Medicaid planning works so well for folks because if you've preserved a good bit of cash and you go on Medicaid, then you have money to supplement that care. And there's no one in a nursing home that doesn't need additional supplemental care. Uh, I, I joke about the fact that, but uh, I've never seen a woman ever that you could take care of for $30 a month. And that's what Medicaid gives you if you haven't protected some of your resources to supplement care. And uh, so that that's really important. Another huge mistake that people make is they're in the hospital or in, in the nursing home or you know, in rehab, in a in a situation where they know that they're they can't go home, and uh, the hospitals and the uh, uh, rehab centers will have social workers, and oftentimes the social workers will recommend and offer to help clients with a Medicaid application. And letting a social worker in the hospital or rehab center help you with a Medicaid application can be one of the worst mistakes you make. These social workers have no clue how these rules work. And in almost every case where a family has come to me and said, oh, the social worker offered to do the application and started the application for us, 
they've done it wrong because uh, an awful lot of stuff needs to be moved around, changed. Uh, the planning has to take place before a, a, a person uh, is eligible. And the social workers don't know these rules. I mean, they know how to fill out an application, but off, uh, but the fact is knowing how to fill out an, an application doesn't help you unless you're eligible. And so it's it's uh, you're you've just you're at the wrong professional uh, and uh, you know the fact is they think they're helping you. you know they have good intentions, but they're actually hurting you. And of course, I raved about that, uh, I think, last week or the week before about other professionals, bankers and financial advisors, who think that by giving you a a, uh, a beneficiary designation form is helping you when they don't know what your estate planning is, and, and oftentimes those kinds of things can actually hurt you in a big, 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 big way. Because if you make an, a Medicaid application – uh, at the wrong time when you're not eligible anyway, it can actually harm you in, in significant ways. And once the application is actually put in, you can't take it back. I mean, it, it, there's a lot of, of rules that, that go into effect because the application has been filed. And so, obviously, uh, I would tell you that families would be very wise to see an elder law attorney who knows the ropes be or any Medicaid application is ever filed or even considered. And there, there's uh, too many folks out there that want to help you that can actually s- screw you to the wall. And the, and the same thing is true with veterans who are seeking help. There are a lot of folks out there that will, quote, help you fill out an application, but they have no clue what the result will be because they don't they don't know the facts in advance of filing that application. And oftentimes, an application can act, uh, when it's filed when you're not eligible and you know you're eligible, uh, when you make that application, it can actually harm you in, in some significant ways. So there you go. <laughs> the process is filled with landmines, and that's why it's so important to have someone who's an expert in this field. Bill Alexander is the guy. Go online to WGALaw.com. Register for February's free seminars if you want more information on many of the topics that we've discussed today. Next seminar is on February 12th. It's free to attend, free to register. Head over to WGALaw.com right now, or you can call 919 919- Two five six seven thousand nine one nine two five six seven thousand. A quick break and back with more. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio six eighty WPTF. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Bill, we covered so much when it comes to Medicaid, and uh, we only got to about half the topics that we, we said we were going to discuss before the show. But any parting shots here before we head out? Well, yeah, there are an awful lot of families, a lot of seniors that think, I love youth planning. Uh, real simple documents is all they need, and they shouldn't need anything else. And the fact is that most of us, as we get older, actually would benefit by using some options where 
we we have uh, uh, documents that are better than just I love you documents. Uh, now, there are some families where that kind of planning is perfectly fine, but the fact is most people don't know the difference between whether they, they fall into that category or whether they would benefit with additional options that we offer. Yeah, find out all the different options that are available to you. I think you'll be surprised if you sit down and speak with an expert like Bill of just what can be done to help your situation and make your your wishes and your desires come true. Go to WGALaw.com, find more information, schedule an appointment to speak with Bill or register for the free seminars on February 12th. Uh, Again, WGALaw.com is the website, or you can call 919-256-7000. We're out of time for today. We got to get out of here. On behalf of Bill Alexander, I'm Jason Kong, thanking you so much for joining us this morning and listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Have a great weekend.